The new frontier is upon us. Artificial intelligence. This has been talked about, discussed, written about in science fiction, but now we're experiencing it. With ChatGPT and other new technologies, we are finding robots, machines, androids, artificial intelligence that we have programmed with our intelligence, with our experience, with our collective knowledge to replace so many of the tasks that we're doing. But it's not just menial tasks. It's coming down to even creative, even imagination. That when you put all that information in, you're not just getting facts, you're also getting a processing and a method. So what does the future hold? Will machines ultimately take over and replace man? Is it a doomsday scenario like in the Matrix and other apocalyptic scenarios? Or will it elevate the human race to a whole new level of higher consciousness? So please join me in this very special program. AI versus man. Who is smarter? Hi, this is Simon Jacobson, and we will be speaking about a very new and relevant topic, AI versus man, who is smarter? This program is dedicated by Derek Mortland in loving memory of his good friend, John Taylor. So though this has been written about and imagined and dreamed and predicted all the way back, we're talking about thousands of years, we are seeing a new frontier emerging, the frontier of artificial intelligence. That's the name being given to machines, programs, computers that are able to simulate the intelligence of a human being, and more than just simulate. It can gather and process information far faster and far more powerfully than any human being, simply because they're machines. So imagine taking all the, all the collective and accumulative knowledge of the human race from the beginning of time, everything that's been written, that's been said, that's been documented, and putting it into a machine. Not just a machine that does a search for keywords, but a machine that also can read and process it and follow our processes and methodologies it will definitely outshine any one of us. None of us can have that much knowledge within our systems. So the big question comes, what makes the human being unique? And that should be a question we should welcome. Because when we were doing things that any machine can do, may, we may not have been living up to our great potential. We definitely didn't live up to our great potential because you're simply busy, whether it's doing the agricultural revolution busy toiling in the field, or in whatever generation or time in history, 
So you couldn't really, the best of you was not able to emerge, simply we didn't have the time and energy. So it's a very exciting, actually, to living in a time like this, because it's going to challenge us to find out who are you? What is the human being like? What is your soul? So it's a much deeper question than whether machines will replace, whether machines will be able to do things we can do better. We have no question we can. I mean, you don't need artificial intelligence. It's the mere fact that we created any technology. The wheel, mathematics, numbers, vehicles. All of these are technologies that help us speed up. Let's take a vehicle to get from one place to another much quicker than you can with your own feet. A calculator can crunch numbers much quicker than any of us can, and larger numbers. Not even discussing new opportunities that that opens up. And look what the microchip has done. The smartphone. Technologies in biology. In medicine. You name the area, and technology has not just enhanced it, and so many times revolutionized it. So we've already experienced the idea that a technology can enhance, and far, far more than just enhance, and I don't just mean quantitatively, but also qualitatively, literally every, virtually every aspect of life. But now it's coming down to the machines being able to actually replicate the way we think. It's not just about an, a, a walking in, a, a machine-like encyclopedia. You look at ChatGPT, you see its ability to just with a short query to write and compose a very original type of thank you letter, a mathematical equation, coding, a book proposal. I'm sure it could also create a musical uh, composition. Now, of course, it's all built upon what's fed into it. The machine has nothing of its own. It's just an empty shell unless you feed that information. But it's more than just information. As I said, it's more than just crunching information. It's also processing information. So we have allowed it and given it the power to process as we process. And if you put into chat GPT and say, tell me, what's your imagination like? It will respond most likely. I didn't check the exact words. It will say, whatever was put into me, I can process further. Does it have an imagination that's beyond that? Well, if we explain what imagination is and we put enough facts into it, why shouldn't it be able to imagine like we imagine? And is there a limit? Because the more we evolve, the more we can program those machines and the more they will evolve. Will they become independent? Well, why shouldn't they? If you program them with that ability and say, just like you can program an uh, autom automatic vacuum cleaner, that at 3 p.m., no one's at home, begin to do your thing. I mean, that's on a very basic, rudimentary level. Why shouldn't we be able to say and allow them to also program and say, come up with your own idea based on all that knowledge? But there's still something missing, right? I'm sure all of us could realize that. I always thought about this, especially when you talk so much on a psychological level about can a robot ever replace a mother? The nurturing that a mother gives to a child, the confidence, the security, the validation that is so necessary, the attachment, the connection. So you could argue, why not, if you build a proper Android and you teach all the elements of what it means to nurture and you could create an absolute replica. 
would be there be anything missing? What about the human touch? And I don't mean just the physical touch, because you can create that as well. I'm sure with the right uh, material, synthetics. So that's what we really need to address when we talk about AI versus man and who is smarter. And the question really is, what, what does it mean to be smart? What does knowledge mean? What is the human being? So some of you may have heard the program I did earlier on ChatGBT. Is that the beginning of something bigger coming? So I'm not going to review and repeat what I said there, even though there's obvious, obvious overlap. I want to talk about, so what does it mean to be smart? What does it mean to be intelligent? What, it mean, what does it mean to be human? Now, we all understand that the mind, knowledge, is a very powerful, maybe the most powerful tool we have. Look what humans were able to do. The very creation of artificial intelligence is a testimony to the brilliance of the human mind. We were able to conquer space and time in so many ways. Animals, the elements that are far stronger than we are, be able to build homes to withstand even great storms. This doesn't mean that it's perfect. Obviously, we're still fragile human beings, mortals. But look what we were able to accomplish on this earth, how we transformed it, and beyond earth, in sea, in the sea, in outer space. So there's no question the mind is an unbelievable tool, but it also comes down to, is that all there is to life? I remember once I was in Boston and I uh, was visiting uh, people I knew. And one of them, a wife of uh, one of my students, later became my student as well, she had a brother and he was in his 40s, brilliant genius, he was computer genius, but he was single. And he did not uh, seem to be interested in relationships. I'm not sure what he did with his own sexuality, with his own internal needs. So she asked me to speak with him. So we went for a walk. Yeah, brilliant guy, no question. Very enjoyable to speak with, knowledgeable in every given area. And then we started talking about the human dimension. I said, so what do you do with your day? How do you, what excites you? So he told me that he's programmed, he has, a, he has like a room where he has like 30 monitors and he's found satellites and he's able to pick up, I think he said over 7,000, 5,000, I think, or 7,000 stations, television stations all around the world in every possible language. And he says, and I love going through it because there's so many and variety and he doesn't understand all the languages. And that's what he does. And he has a way of making a living. He's, as I said, a brilliant guy. As soon as I started talking to him about relationships, he closed down. All that brilliance was gone. And I saw before me, and I say it with full compassion, a person that was a walking computer, a walking machine. When it came to emotions, emotional intelligence, almost zero. Now, I was convinced, of course, everyone has emotions. I was convinced that he closed it down. And the more I tried to probe, and I didn't really... Uh, God forbid, in any disrespectful way, the more I tried to probe, the more I saw the resistance. So, of course, I let it go. I remained friends with him. I always said, you know, we could always talk. But I saw that he was living in his brain. He became what you see in some of the futuristic science fiction novels or, or uh, films. The human being becoming a machine. Just a brain. 
You know, there are actually those scenarios that we lose our bodies and we're just the brain. That's the ultimate of evolution. To me, that's a nightmare scenario. And I saw that in this person. I didn't analyze, I don't know whether it was his childhood, whether he witnessed or was hurt, whether he witnessed broken relationships. Did he see love in his life? Did he get love in his life? But there was a very vivid example of just one. And we see this all the time, people who play mind games. They live in their minds, in their brains, and they can be brilliant. And the more brilliant they are, the more complicated it gets because they know how to cover their tracks. You know that example they tell of the guy that was completely blind, but he so memorized his home that when you were with him, you thought he was able to see because he behaved in a way as if he's able to see, but it's all memorized. So there are people who are living vicariously through their brain. They see the world. But that doesn't mean they're experiencing the world. And it doesn't mean that they have emotional intelligence. So that's one dimension. Now that too, you can argue, can be programmed. The machine could also develop emotions. At least first artificial ones, and maybe more, comp- more, more sophisticated ones. But it has to go beyond that. So the real question is, what is reality? It's not just what is wisdom and knowledge and what is the human being. What is reality? If the reality is the world that we see, the empirical world, and I include, of course, that the empirical world is the tip, is world is the tip of the iceberg, and there are dimensions beneath dimensions. There are molecules beneath the elements and atoms beneath the molecules and subatomic particles beneath the atoms. And I say beneath, I mean within. And as deep down the rabbit hole as you can go. And the same thing with the human being, that behind our organs and limbs, within it all, under the dashboard, behind the scenes, behind the curtain, are our, our cells and our DNA. And the same thing with everything. Everything is about energy, frequency, vibrations. That matter is really energy congealed. Just like gas turns into liquid when you warm it, and, and then from liquid it turns into a solid when you freeze it. Everything is really that gaseous type of amorphous state. Let's, let's speak on a quantum level. Even if that's all the case, is that the end of reality? Is that where it ends? So the mind has gone even in places like that. When you talk about quantum, for example, we know it's counterintuitive to rational thinking. When I say rational thinking, as it was known, let's call it a Newtonian model of physics. But then we discovered things that are indeterministic and prob- states of probability and things don't exist until you observe them. And all that comes with the quantum theory. So even that has become part of how our minds work. So what the real question is, so what is reality? And have we overrated the brain and mind? Because if reality is beyond the mind, and the mind is just one facet of it, let's call it the most sophisticated facet, it's still part of the tool chest. It's still an instrument. It's a means to an end. But what's the end? So let me submit to you two models of how to look at your life and how we all look at life. And you'll see everyone fits into one of these two models or something in between. And the two models I'm going to speak about is the prevalent way we look at things, either because we are naturally inclined due to our self-interest or because of our education, our society, and our culture. And another model, we'll call it the spiritual model, the Kabbalistic model, the biblical model, the transcendent model, whatever name you want to give it. And the difference is very, very simple. I'll put it into really simple English. What is the essence of reality? Is it me? And everything is an extension of myself and my needs. 
So then, knowledge, information, technology, even emotions, everything, even spirituality, is all about extending, expanding my needs, expanding my horizons. In other words, the center starts with me, the self. Or is it the other way around? That there's a reality outside of the self, and the self is one piece of a bigger picture. And then the essence of life is for us to recognize that. In the language of Kabbalistic and Hasidic language, I'll use two words. The word is yesh and ayin. Yesh means an entity, something of substance. You can call it an ego. And I don't mean ego is arrogance necessarily. It could become arrogant, but it means a sense of self. Ayin means nothingness. But not nothingness as an annihilation. It means suspension of self. It means a state where you are not defined by who you are, but you're defined by what you are absorbing, that which is beyond you. You can call it transcendence. And you may have heard the expression, ayin yesh, ma'ayin yesh, ex nihilo, creation ex nihilo, for nothing into something. But nothing is misunderstood. Nothing doesn't mean nothing. It means a different type of reality that we're not familiar with. So for us, we call it nothing because based on my empirical tools, I can't see it. It's invisible. I can't hear it. I can't taste or touch or smell it. Or even feel it or think about it. There are things like that. And they are relative to each other because there are things that can be, as we say, there's the known knowns, there's the unknown knowns, the known unknowns, I should say. And then there's the unknown unknowns that you don't even know that you don't know. So it's all relative to where you are. And in many ways, when we talk about expanding our consciousness, higher states of awareness, we're talking about this journey from yesh to ayin. So the way the Kabbalists put it, and the Hasidic masters put it, is that reality began far beyond and before your individual sense of self. So from the top down, it began from a state of ayin, a state that was completely not defined by parameters and definitions that we're familiar with. Or for that matter, any definitions. And that ultimately evolved into becoming a defined entity, ultimately the entity called the self. We, however, have to work from the bottom up because we begin with a sense of self, sense of self-consciousness. And we are looking and seeking that which is higher than our own self. And knowledge and information is all part of that process. It is what allows us to move from the subjective self which is emotions. Emotions means I like it, I don't like it. Imagine we were just emotional creatures. We would never have objective perspectives. Every scientific theory would be what's in it for me. And that can distort the theory, as we know. Subjectivity, for all its value, and its value is tremendous because it's what is ultimately where life plays itself out. But on the other hand, subjective interests create all the, the prejudices and the bias and all the notions that we that distort an objective picture the mind frees us from subjectivity that's its ultimate goal and allows us therefore to look at something not based on previous prejudices or preconceived notions or something we heard but by either it's experimental it can be replicated it can be deduced there's a logical process but it doesn't end there it's all instruments as I mentioned Instruments what? To experience the ayin. So the process from the top down, it goes from a state of an amorphous, or even beyond amorphous, undefined state into definition. 
That's the true process. But the process we go through is from the bottom up. From definition, we are seeking that which is beyond definition. So it's no surprise that as technology develops, we move from a very empirical, macroscopic, Newtonian picture of the universe, of cause and effect, and absolutes and determinism, and we come to discover that beneath the surface lies a quantum indeterminism, which initially, and still every time, is jolting when you think about it. But when you look at it from this perspective, it makes total sense, because we're moving inward. We're moving from an outer defined state, from the solid into the liquid, into the gas, and beyond the gas. So it makes total sense that we get into places that are so subtle, they're not visible to the eye or to the air. When I say visible, I mean that we can't hear it. Or our other senses. And it makes total sense because that's where reality really plays itself out. And when you think of it that way, it's not at all disturbing. Oh, of course it makes sense when you start thinking about it. I remember the first time I discovered some of these ideas in science. I said, oh, that's exactly what the, the, the mystics have been teaching all the time. And it also creates a more holistic view of everything. Because then we're all connected in that sense. So on a physical outer reality, we're not connected. My self-interest may not make conflict with yours. And hence we have disagreements to the point of even divisiveness, to the point even of war, God forbid. Look at history. However, when you go into the inner level, there's an intrinsic and inherent unity that connects everything. Every subatomic particle, everything is part of one larger unity. As a matter of fact, some say that's the reality and everything else, I won't call it an illusion, but it's a superimposed and a far more superficial reality, the fragmentation of existence. And this has been proven in neurology and in quantum mechanics and so many other areas. The right brain connects everything, and that's why we have that coordination. The left brain separates because there are also details in this world. And the goal is fusion of detail with a big picture. To draw down the big picture into, to inform the small picture. Taking us back now to what is intelligence, therefore, is an extension of what is reality. A reality is that there's a higher reality and we are here to discover it and channel it into our lives. Machines are simply creations and tools that we create, as sophisticated as they are, they will be as good as what we are. So if we remain machines ourselves, and some argue that we ourselves are a program, we're just about our zeros and ones, or DNA and different sequences, but however you discuss that, that's another discussion somewhat, but as long as we remain in that place, that brain, and don't live an emotional life, and don't have a spiritual life, and a transcendent life, then our machines are going to reflect that. And that's why you see a scientist or a brilliant person can be brilliant, but they're still never really dealt with the big question. Is your life about you or about something greater than yourself? That's why you could have someone who's brilliant and completely selfish, even abusive, even narcissistic. How is that possible? Because the mind has not necessarily permeated the whole person. Reportedly, they say Bertrand Russell said when he behaved unethically, and they asked, how could you behave that way? You're a professor of ethics. He also said, he said, I'm also a mathematician. I teach mathematics, but I'm not a triangle. Meaning what I know is not who I am. So, of course, that dissonance is going to transfer over to how, we, how the machines understand us. So the machines can then, in many ways, 
Yes, replace us, because there'll be more. If it's all about you and yourself, the machine will only, only extend that. So in other words, ego and self-interest can only grow when all it is is about you. And even your mind is about your own glory, your own ego, your own honor, pride, etc. And that's why you see people actually distorting it. And the fears that everyone has, that artificial intelligence and chat GPT and so on will be manipulated. And it is being manipulated. All kinds of fake stuff that they're calling today. Is again because it's all driven by someone's interest. Commercial interest. Or someone wants to do a prank, even if it's an innocent intentions. Or actually more benevolent, more, uh, more, more, selfish, more selfish or destructive intentions. That's all driven by the self. So the machines are not emancipating us. They just become tools of our, like weapons. What's a weapon at the end of the day? What's a knife? If you use it to cut bread and eat the bread and become a healthier person and a stronger person, a better person, then the knife is part of that. If you use the knife to hurt somebody, the knife is neutral. The machines are neutral. Artificial intelligence is just a machine. So it all depends what it's, what's being fed into it. So if our attitude is me, me, and the more knowledge I gain, the more me I become. I remember speaking to a scientist, and I said to him, I know you deal with these, it was, it was, it was a cosmology, it dealt with cosmology and uh, Big Bang. I said, what happened before the Big Bang? So he told me, listen, that's an area that we don't know. My, science begins with the things we know. The things empirically we know, or we've extrapolated. So I said, so who put the first bag of gas there? He says, that's metaphysics, that's out of physics, that's out of science. Do you, does it interest you? It does, but it's not part of science. And I realized, I had a realization. I said this to him. I said, so science is dealing with the yesh. He knew the language because he came to some of my classes. He's dealing with understanding the yesh of existence. Yes, understanding it better than we have ever understood it before, but it's still, the more you understand it, the more yesh it is. The more self it is. So now you understand the self. So it makes the self even more important. Not taking away from that because it's developed tremendous technologies, but you never get from the self to the beyond the self, to the transcendent, to the higher reality. And that's a discussion of what, how, how the gas got there in the first place. So both have value. Once it exists, you want to understand how it works, and we take it apart to try to understand it, and then we try to build a better machine and better technologies as we have. But there's a whole other point. Ultimately, all of it is really to help us all become something beyond ourselves. And a person who's focused on that, then their result will be not a Bertrand Russell result. Then the result will be ethical behavior, refinement, instead of dissonance, integration, a fusion between mind and heart, emotional intelligence, spiritual intelligence, and ultimately all the knowledge and all the machines are being used to what? To experience a reality beyond ourselves. And that's the choice we have. We've always had this choice, mind you. Now, there was never a time there was no technology, because as soon as a human being existed, they right away tried to make things better, whether creating a pot or a wheel or whatever it may be. But this has always been the, the challenge. Is your life defined by you? And everything is an extension of you, even if it's noble. You know, evolutionary theory argues that even nobility and kindness and compassion and empathy and even self-sacrifice is better for the species, is better for the yesh. Or 
is the approach the other way around, as Abraham came to discover, that there's a higher reality. I am a piece of it. I've been blessed to be a piece of it. And the greatest goal in life is for me to connect with it. And that means losing myself in the process. Not losing your identity, your individuality, losing your ego, losing that self-contained self. It's not all about, doesn't begin and end with your needs. So in a relationship that would translate, your needs will be met, but it's not defined by your needs. It's defined by two people connecting to something greater than themselves. And that's ultimately love and ultimately transcendence and the ultimate nature of what we truly are. Now, I'm not here to prove one way or the other people can choose, but it's important to know the alternatives, to know the options. Now, most of us live in a place somewhere in between. We have our spiritual transcendent moments, but the yes is, let's be honest, the most dominant factor, self-interest. The question is how much we curb it, how much we tame it, how much we channel it and harness it to that higher experience. So again, this is not about annihilating or obliterating self, God forbid. It's about allowing the self to absorb something greater. And that is where it comes down to, to answer the question, AI versus man, who is smarter? If you talk about pure smarts, computer chess can today beat any chess master. And the same will be with any other thing. No machine will be, no human will be a match to a machine in sheer power and even in sheer processing. And I would even go on with even creativity, pure creativity. If you put enough into the machine, enough data. But then there are elements that we, are, that we cannot purely define in tangible ways. It was when Laplace, the, the French thinker and scientist, argued in the 19th century to the chagrin of many, especially in the religious circles, he said, give me all the data on anything and I can predict what it'll be till the, till the end of time. The only problem is we don't have all the data. And that, of course, upended the whole issue of free will, Everything is deterministic. But then quantum mechanics came into play, just a little after that, immediately told us, no, it's not correct. It's not due to lack of information. There isn't fundamental uncertainty and indeterminism in existence. So going beyond that, so getting back to AI versus man who's smarter, so it all depends on what you see as reality. If we see the self as the center of everything, then machines will be even better than you are and enhance more of you. I'm not even talking about, let's say, for nefarious or destructive or evil ends. Just purely selfish ends. Commercial. And they definitely will be used to distort and corrupt, be corrupted and polluted by the human being. However, if we see ourselves, man, not just defined by smartness as an in intelligence, but smartness as in transcendence, going beyond ourselves to a higher reality, then there's no question that man with a soul is superior. But we have to access it. And not only that, it's not a battle. The machines then will be an extension of us because they will be used by us for these transcendent and higher reality purposes. So it really comes down to what we're going to do. And we are at a crossroads. We've always been at a crossroads, but now more than ever because it's becoming so exposed how literally everything we do, the jobs we have, they can become obsolete pretty quickly, replaced by machines, replaced by artificial intelligence. So we are now at a crossroads and at a new frontier, which is who, am I, who are we? Are we just creatures of survival, of existence, 
even prosperity, but all part of the yesh, part of the me? Or are we here for something greater and we're part of something greater? And that will define our future. I am confident that will be the latter we will choose because it's who we truly are. And it resonates. Love, connection, nurturing, soul, spirit. This is what makes us really tick. It's not the self. The self can be a very powerful distraction. And the self can hijack even our spiritual ion, so to speak. That bitl, that suspension of self. But ultimately, what prevails, who you truly are. But we can accelerate the process. We can expedite it by understanding it and understanding the challenges in our times and translating it into the true embrace of what makes you tick, what makes the human being. And with that, I would say, I've been blessed to be exposed to people who embraced model number two, I in first, yes, second. And that the goal is instead of going from the I into the yes, just to take the yes, the self, and turn it to something far greater than the self to become part of the bigger picture. So instead of taking the bigger picture and creating a God in our image, it's us taking our image and aligning it with the divine image in which we were created. And that drives everything in my life, the Meaningful Life Center, which this program is part of, MeaningfulLife.com. So this has been Simon Jacobson with this mission of helping myself, helping us all, to take the yesh and turn it to an ayin. And with that, we become far, far greater than we can ever be. Joining a fusion of the finite and the infinite, of the mortal and the immortal and beyond. So please join me in this great mission. And please share this with others, because that's the whole point. The ripple effect, paying it forward. The butterfly effect, also part of the integral unity in all, all of existence. Again, Simon Jacobson, MeaningfulLife.com. Check us out at that website, MeaningfulLife.com. Please subscribe to the, our channel here on YouTube and share. And I'd love to hear your feedback, your thoughts, your comments, feed, critique. And let's expand these ideas as far as we can and let us create the best possible machines to help us enhance that. The best screwdrivers and hammers, but not just simple utilities, but even those that help us experience the transcendent. And we will indeed usher in a new world. The future is, the commodity of the future is spiritual knowledge, not just knowledge. As Isaiah says in the famous prophecy, there will be no more evil and destruction because the world will be filled with divine knowledge as the waters cover the sea. Thank you so much and be blessed. This program is brought to you by the Meaningful Life Center. Please help us continue our programs. Make even a small contribution at MeaningfulLife.com donate.